to see every student and every teacher's and every parent's challenge as, uh, as part of that, the, the umbrella of discipleship, growing in Christ, and we're, whatever situation you may be involved in, we want to believe God for that. We just completed a 10-part series in the book of Colossians last week, and part of that, the heart of that book in chapter 2 was, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, being rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, and abounding in there, it says, with thanksgiving. There's a real uh, jubilant feel to that entire text, even as it explained the, many of the obstacles that we all face. I had a tree guy on my uh, lawn this week that was trimming up something that uh, had gotten way too big and, and it was taller than I thought it was going to get a long number of years ago. And as, uh, and, and as we were doing the tree, he was doing the tree work, it suddenly flashed back in my mind when Becky picked out that particular tree and asked me to plant it about 21 years ago. And honestly, when I put that tree in the ground, I, had, I wasn't thinking about what its ultimate height would be in 20 years, but boy, it's really exceeded my expectation, sometimes causes a problem. Well, God has saplings in his forest. In Psalm 127, the Bible speaks about fathers' love for their children. It talks about our little ones being like olive plants, or in other texts, a sapling. So for every child at every level of learning, we want to pray today. And I want to ask, I just asked Justin to come and be with me here, and I asked Brother Jim Mingle to come, and Brother David Berry, and Brother Joe Gorman. You brothers just come up and stand if you could. Let's stand face the front. And I'd like for us to do this as a body today that we all know the whole issue of learning is, is, is the most significant investment of our hearts and our lives for our boys and girls. And uh, whatever challenges you may be faced, so today we want to pray for parents, we want to pray for teachers, we want to pray for all of these students. And I want to just ask, uh, first of all, if uh, Brother David would lead us in prayer for all parents. And parents are the executive directors of learning. And whatever school situation is involved, that school situation, whatever their term is, administration, whatever, they're under the executive leadership of the parents. So we want to begin with parents. Then I want to ask um, Brother Jim to pray for all teachers, and then Justin to pray for all students. And we're just going to go in that order. So Brother David, begin praying for parents today. If you're a mom or dad, and our grandparent, just lift, lift your hands unto the Lord if you could, and just let's just receive, let's be receivers as these brothers lead us in prayer for parents, teachers, and students. Amen. Yes. Amen. Lord, I pray Amen. for parents, that they would be able to see that, that the work of God 
Yes. Amen. Amen. Father Amen. God, Lord, I thank you, um, first of all, um, to be able to speak yes. freely yeah. about these things. Lord, I thank mm-hmm. you for this evening. Yes. Lord, these are things that will speak abundantly Amen. to offer their wisdom and knowledge to the people of this church. Lord, yeah. I pray that they would find your wisdom. Yes. in the um, frustrations of mm-hmm. working with children that mm-hmm. sometimes creep us out, Lord, mm-hmm. that you give them peace yes. and comfort Amen. Amen. Lord, I ask that they do your will, mm. Lord. These tiny little, um, very influential minds, Lord, yes. that come to Jesus yes, and look up Jesus to Jesus. Name. They look to them mm-hmm. for guidance. I ask that the teachers mm-hmm. not succumb to what the world wants them to mm-hmm. do, in not Jesus succumb name. to what culture says is right and true, mm-hmm. Lord, but stand aligned with the right perspective mm-hmm. and say, on a critical matter, mm-hmm. we seek your guidance. Lord, you created mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. Amen. Lord, your name be praised. Amen. Yes. Lord, we thank Amen. you and ask that you teach us thank each and every one of those things. In Jesus' name. Plant your seed and find your faith in your hands so they can continue mm-hmm. to produce fruit and cause you to rise. Yes, Father. Yes, Lord the God. Love that is offered to us here, the important thing that you give mm-hmm. us and the mindset that you give us to do what you say. Yes, Lord God. Amen. 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 Lord, we lift up each of you as we're here today. We thank you for your call. Amen. Yes, yes, uh, yes. Great in that, that father that has relationship with the children. And so, Lord, for each of our kids here today, I pray that yes, you would Lord stir God, up Jesus your name. Holy Spirit inside of them mm-hmm. to be able to impact, even in small ways, to mm-hmm. take the things that they know to be true uh, about, about mm-hmm. you and about your world and your kingdom and about your son Jesus. Yes, Lord God, in school. Jesus' name. I pray that they would excel at their academic studies and help those students uh, that may have an area they struggle in. Yes, yes, amen. Even though we know mm-hmm. in our country we, we have frustrations with some of what happens mm-hmm. in education, thank you that we have education. Yes, Lord God, amen, amen, yes, amen. So we just pray for a great school district uh, that you would give us our students 
Yes, in Jesus' name. Yes, Lord God. Yes, amen, amen. And friends, can we just uh, take a moment just to lift our hearts and then thank God from our own hearts for every child and just sharing our agreement with what we've prayed together. Lord, we bless you. We bless you. Give God an offering of praise from your heart. Just give him an offering of praise. Let it, just let it overflow from your heart. What a treasure. What a treasure. Each, each boy and girl is. Each boy and girl here today and those we're praying for in families in the wider circle. Lord, we give you praise. Lift your praises unto the Lord. It is a good thing to sing praises unto the Lord and to make a joyful noise unto the King. Thank you, Lord, that you've invited us. You've called us. You said to enter into your gates with thanksgiving and into your courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, that we are your people, the sheep of your pasture. And now, Father, for the little lambs and the various ages of lambs, may they be blessed as we go forth today for, for this vital time of learning here together today. In the name of Jesus, amen. I mean, would you give God praise and just rejoice in him? Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Okay, and you may be seated as uh, Explorers and Pathfinders classes are now uh, heading on out. And uh, uh, we're missing Becky today. She's, we had a delightful opportunity to be with um, our third grandchild with uh, mom and dad off on a, a long-awaited anniversary trip. First time, little 17-month-old is that they've, he's been a, they've been away for any night, so we we were the uh, we were the relief pitchers, and we loved it. And she's she's still there. I went up to be with her and spend one night and and do the do the outings yesterday. And it was just it's just beyond it's beyond description. What a gift each of these, all of these children, all of you that are like us, your grandparents. You know, it's you can't even begin to put into words how much each of them means to you. Today, I want to invite you to join in a in a look at the 110th Psalm, and if you would turn in your own Bible and find that, find that Psalm, uh, we will be looking at it in both the Pew Bible in a moment and in your own Bible, especially want to just emphasize for you, if you would, that open your Bible to Psalm 110 and whatever Bible tablet or physical Bible you're using, I'd love for you to be able to see this together uh, I pray in a light that um, brings together a truth that is really so timely for us and it has a very fresh application to even what we've talked about and prayed about today and that is uh, the calling of raising boys and girls as, as followers of Jesus. This psalm pivots on a powerful prophecy about the Lord Jesus Christ and his eternal priesthood and though that truth may sound somewhat remote or a bit abstract to some of us. The fascinating thing about this particular chapter is its prominence throughout God's Word in describing what it takes for a heart to be changed from being unwilling to love and serve God to being joyously and energetically willing. So that's kind of the pivot point, and we'll look at that in a few moments. But I call it valiant 
advances in kingdom life. And if you open your Bible, and one reason I want you to actually just look at it on your page for a moment is it's quite notable just on an initial um, glance how short this psalm is um, over against the fact, or in a sense a contrast to the fact, that this 110th psalm is the most frequently quoted psalm in the New Testament about the triumph and conquest of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, not only in the resurrection, but in his ascension and eternal priesthood. Now that, we'll look at that again in a moment, why that's so important, but I want you to first see that this chapter of seven verses compresses in a very concise way a vast panorama of facts about the triumph or the conquest of Christ, our Lord and Savior. And then just by glancing at it as a whole, seven verses, we want to look at the third verse as a kind of the focus here today of what it means to be a part of people, a part of a people, and to be the kind of people who are ready to respond to the call of Christ to step out beyond where we may be comfortable or have experience and trust God for great things. D.L. Moody was noted as saying 120 or 130 years ago now, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. That, that initiative, that stirring, that desire, that willingness to risk, to step out, to advance, and not to accept the mediocre status quo as the way it's always going to be. In other words, wherever Christ has placed you and me, in our relationships, our community, our jobs, all of us are a part of a dynamic uh, team of people who are learning and experiencing the joy of being led by the Holy Spirit. And we might think of the leading of the Holy Spirit and the work of Christ in our hearts in, in a number of different ways in terms of what it requires from us. But the text in verse 3 in your Bible, Psalm 110, shows us something really remarkable. Now, if you have the King James, the new King James translation here available in the pew. I'd like to look at both of these, and you, you'll notice in that third verse on uh, page 700 that this psalm addresses all of God's people, and I've got to underline all of God's people because it is God the Father in verse 1 addressing the Messiah, the Lord, in the future. And then in verse 3, speaking of his people. So when you read the two words at the beginning of verse 3 that say, your people, note, note that this is saying all of those who have responded to the Lord Jesus Christ and become a part of his family. In the kingdom of God, God sees you and me, though he cares about needs, he also sees us as a part of a people. So bring the words of verse 3 aloud with me, your people. Would you just say it aloud with me, your people, and then realize as you say that, 
you're among them. Now, here, what does it say about the Messiah's, the future Messiah King? What does it say about his people? Well, I'm going to read now verse 3 from the New King James translation. If you have that Pew Bible open on page 700, would you just read that third verse aloud with me? Your people shall be volunteers in the day of your power, in the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning. We, you have the dew of your youth. There is such elegant and exquisite poetry in these verses that we may read over and simply think those are just beautiful expressions, and they are, but in that Hebrew poetry is compressed an incredibly rich and valuable insight that could only fully have come to light after our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ bore in his body all of the penalty of our sin, the Lamb of God taking away our sin on the cross, shedding his life blood, atoning for our sin, bringing through the resurrection of the dead the promise that every thirsty soul can have a relationship with the true and living God. And when we give our heart to our King, the Holy Spirit puts in us capacities we don't fully understand. And the text of Psalm 110 verse 3 focuses on a willing heart. Not, not a grudging heart, not a kind of a conflicted heart, not a compromised heart, not a confused heart, not a disoriented heart, but a freely willing heart toward God. Francis Havergal is a uh, prolific writer of hymns in the latter part of the 19th century. She's the writer of one of my favorite hymns, Take My Life and Let It Be Consecrated Lord to Thee. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love. A lesser known hymn, poem that Francis wrote struck me as perfectly capturing what Psalm 110 brings us. And this is what Francis Havergal said, valiant endeavor and loving obedience, freely and joyously now would we bring. There's a sense in Psalm 110 of the vitality of initiative for God, taking initiative for God, and realizing that sometimes when you take initiative for God, it might initially not look like you're having an impact. It's in the very nature of faith. It's in the very nature of following Jesus. That there are times when we're called into valiant endeavor, stepping out, boldly believing God for something that we've yet to fully grasp. And sometimes even doing small things that we think, well, what would be the impact of this? What 
value? What long-term good is going to come out of this gift that I give or this expression, coming alongside someone to spend time and pray with them or giving a special extra love offering, uh, sowing into a ministry? And we might say, what, what good is my $75 going to do? Or what good is my expression going to do? And yet, it is a part of the pristine and beautiful poetic vision of the Messiah's kingdom in Psalm 110 that at the very heart of it is a realization that the people Christ is Lord over have a capacity to advance, to move out, to be bold. Now, there are three aspects of that valiant endeavor that this psalm gives us. So maybe turn to your own Bible, the Bible you regularly use. I know obviously the wording is a little different than that uh, pew Bible. And, and so most of us would be reading probably from the New American Standard or the uh, ESV or the NIV or the New Living Translation. And I want to invite you to go to one of those, whichever one is in your lap. How many of you got a Bible with you today? Let me see your hand. Okay. And I want you to go with me to Psalm 110, verse 3, again, in your own Bible. And just notice with me that the expressions here bring together a truth about the character of God. And if you look at it in your own translation, I will read to you from the ESV, and maybe some of you are reading that as well. It says in verse 3, your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments from the womb of the morning. What a, what a descriptive phrase. What a picturesque phrase. It's like when the sun rises in the morning. You can imagine a beautiful sunrise on a, on a, on a beach somewhere and you see that sunrise and it's a reminder that God is birthing fresh things for his people and Christ the Lord who is the great morning star is the source of this energy for initiative this energy for stepping out and boldly trusting God in an area that maybe you've not yet seen any breakthrough so again They'll offer themselves freely from the womb of the morning. And then the last phrase of verse 3 again is addressed to the future Messiah. And it says, the dew of your youth will be yours. Now these, these picturesque views of nature uh, call to mind a, a fascinating insight that, that Eugene Peterson gave the uh, noted author that was the translator of that uh, great uh, paraphrase called The Message. And Dr. Peterson said one time that everything in nature, by God's design, illustrates something in the realm of grace. That's such a great insight to me. Because in this text, the dew that falls on the grass in the morning, and the, and the hope and the opportunity of a sunrise are employed under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit by the pen of the Hebrew writer to convey that when Christ the King is reigning, there will be a continuous energy source and it will be as delicate, sometimes as silent, 
as the dew saturating the grass in the early morning, and yet it is that very moisture that contributes to the life-giving cycle of the productivity and the greenery and the beauty that we see in nature. So these simple, elegant images from nature are employed by the Holy Spirit to speak to us of something about the coming kingdom that has three powerful aspects. The first one, as you can see, is that this psalm conveys a new reality at the throne of his conquest. Now, it's for this reason, as I've already hinted, that Psalm 110 holds a particularly unique place in the whole canon of Scripture in that while there are messianic prophecies about the coming of the Messiah throughout the Bible, this is one of a few very significant places where one psalm or a short section brings together many aspects of who this future Messiah would be. Now, it's, it's obvious, of course, but a simple additional thing to realize is that the psalm was written a thousand years before an angel appeared to a little virgin in a town called Nazareth and said, that holy one who will be born of you, though you have never known a man, shall be the eternal son of God, and he shall reign on the throne of his father David, and his kingdom will have no end. God had prophetically embedded in Scripture these truths, not only for the sweep of history, but for the future revelation of what God would bring into our lives and our hearts. In fact, this Psalm 110 is so comprehensive in a concise form that it is quoted directly or by allusion 27 times in the New Testament. The emphasis on verse 4, the verse right after the one we read, that's actually the heart of the psalm. Let's read that fourth verse and get that briefly. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You, that is speaking of the future Messiah, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, today we're not going to tell the story of Melchizedek because I'll be doing that in a Hebrew series, and I love that story, and it's a full several couple of sermons in it. But I want to get to the heart of this and, and have you read just this part of the text that's on the screen below that. Read aloud with me what it is that God said to the Messiah. And let's hear these words afresh about the Lord himself. Let's read that. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies, your footstool. Now, you may note this, that when the Bible gives us this powerful introduction in verse 1, there is a complete expression of the character of God in the eternal councils long before human beings existed. That is, God the Lord said to the future Messiah, you'll sit at my right hand. Now, 
as obscure that, as that may seem to us, it's, I want to give you some examples of in the New Testament how these texts were quoted very quickly because if we see these four examples, we'll realize that what's happening here in Psalm 110 is a display of God's eternal covenant-making nature. And though we have no way to frame in a historical way when, when that occurred, we can gather from this in Ephesians chapter 1 where the Bible says that, uh, that we are blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ who before the foundation of the world, God ordained that through him a people could be made holy. Well, Jesus talked about this passage himself in a fascinating exchange with Pharisees. The scribes and Pharisees tried to trip Jesus up in his questions in, their, in his ministry by trying to throw him a question he couldn't, they thought he couldn't answer. And they raise a question about, uh, about people in, in, the, in the eternal kingdom. They tried to, to try to get Jesus in a bind where somehow he would deny the reality of life after death. And, and that became the springboard, Jesus confounding the Pharisees and then turning to the Pharisees and saying to them, well, you, ask, you answer a question for me now. You've asked me a question. Now I have a question for you. Uh, when, de- when the psalm says, "My Lord said, the Lord said to my Lord, you always say, the Jews say, that the Messiah will be the son of David. But how is it then in Psalm 110 that God calls him the Lord? And they realize that Jesus had them over a barrel because he couldn't just be the son of David. And, of course, that leads to the virgin birth. He was the son of David through the natural line, but he was the son of the living God through an unprecedented miracle in the virgin birth that brought the incarnate God into this world. Jesus signaled that, and how did he do it? By quoting Psalm 110. Then on the day of Pentecost, Peter is proclaiming and explaining what is it that's happened here? How is it that people are being filled with the Holy Spirit and the growth and glory of God in their midst is so compelling that lives are literally being transformed before your very eyes. And Peter explained it like this, that God had spoken a thousand years before about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. For he had spoken of the day that he would say, sit at my right hand and I will make your enemies your footstool. The Apostle Paul spoke of it when he explained what's happening now when we lose a loved one in this life, when we suffer the agony of, of a physical death that breaks our hearts. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that Christ must reign in the present tense until he's put all of his enemies under his feet and the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Now, how could he say all these things? Well, the reason is found in the names of that first verse. So go back to that in your Bible and notice it, that the, the two words in verse 1 translated in our English Bibles, Lord, L-O-R-D. Do you see those two words, the Lord said unto my Lord? Those two words are highly significant for these great promises that we're briefly touching on. And that is, the first 
Hebrew word for Lord is Yahweh. It's what the ancient scribes called the Tetragrammaton, the un, almost so holy, so magnificent, such a glorious self-disclosure of the Almighty God that it was a part of the Jewish culture to be very, very, very cautious about ever uttering that name. Lest you violate the commandment not to take the name of Yahweh in vain. Now, when your English Bible translates this word as it does in your Bible, in verse 1, it capitalizes all caps. Do you see that in your Bible? All caps indicates that the translators are giving you the English translation for Yahweh. The tetragrammaton, the, the ineffable name, the, the, the awesome name, the, the invincible name of God. Then that second word, the Lord, Yahweh, said to my Lord, do you see this in your Bible, that that second use of Lord is capital L, but small case, O-R-D. And that translates the word Adonai here, Adonai. Now, historically, the Jews would often seek to avoid the danger of blasphemy by using Adonai more frequently than Yahweh. Yah the, the name Yahweh was uttered and, and used, but very, very cautiously, as, as, as one would be like walking on, on, on tiptoes, stepping near the, the opening of the Holy of Holies. And so uh, the scribes would often use the word Adonai to refer to the Lord because Adonai means sovereign master and... Uh, the controller and the director and ultimately what we mean when we say the Lord, my Lord, my master. Now, when we think of it this way, then what we see in Psalm 110 is that the throne of God's conquest plan for saving people was a conversation between Yahweh and the Lord who would be born in Bethlehem. And in that conversation, what is being foreshadowed is that he will sit. You see clearly in verse 1, there is a distinction of persons. We often say in the Trinity, it's helpful to realize this, it is unity of being, but distinction of persons. So the Father is saying to the Son, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. But he doesn't stop there. Verse 2 says, the Lord sends forth from Zion, symbolizing the center of God's authority that has an earthly replica on the planet, but it reflects the authority of the throne room of God. And he says... God not only says something to the Son, He sends His power in another beautiful poetic image. And what is that image? It is the extending of a scepter. So you get the picture, first of all, that the Father and the Son in the councils of eternity, that this glorious intention is made known. It's disclosed by the only one who could disclose it, and that was directly by revelation. 
he shows that the Son is not only going to be at the right hand, but that there is a scepter of authority. In the ancient world, the scepter, of course, signified a, a particular authority, a directive authority over a realm of existence. So out of the three things we want to think about today with this psalm, the first is that God is giving a portrait of a conquest at his throne that you are a part of if you have accepted Christ as your Savior. Secondly, it's in the arena of this earth now that his authority is being extended. Now, you may look at the world around you today and may have trouble uh, grasping that in certain ways. You may find yourself saying, my goodness, I can't even understand how that authority is being seen. Well, first of all, we don't give credit enough to the wonderful, manifold blessings that God brings into our lives that shows forth that glory. But there's another thing, and that is that the authority of Christ is being expressed and extended through his word because there are three aspects of what the psalm tells us about this future Messiah. His scepter is extended not only over the earth, but what? To us. That is, God has a direct channel to your heart. Now you may say, oh, I know that, I, I, I believe that. But when you read it in light of this eternal cosmic plan, you suddenly realize, wait a minute, this is not by accident. There is something God wants to do in my life today that can cause me to have a new energy source to step out of my comfort zone and actually believe God for great things. And the second thing we learn is why we can do that. Because Christ is ruling not in the absence of his enemies, but where? He is ruling in the midst of his enemies. Now this tells us that as much as this earth has all the signs of human rebellion, the glory and beauty and magnitude, the order, beauty, and complexity of this earth and of the universe is proof positive that God's sovereign grace, God's power to transform, far outweighs the evil that human beings can do. And in fact, Psalm chapter 2, different messianic psalm, tells us that the Lord is dwelling in the heavens and he laughs at the defiant arrogance of the wicked who shake their fist in the face of Almighty God. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Why? Because he said, Thus have I made the decree, I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. In a practical way, this helps us understand why we are called to pray in some way the model of the Lord's Prayer. I've never believed in praying the Lord's Prayer routinely as a rote thing because people it can lose its meaning, it can lose its vitality. But the model, the essential model of what Jesus gave us in Matthew 6, verses 9 to 13, and in Luke chapter 11, is a very vital model because for this very reason, that when we say our Father, 
who's dwelling in heaven. Holy is your name, Yahweh. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And in this earth as, as it is in heaven. So what, what we need to draw from that is Christ's dwelling at the right hand of God is a living and active eternal priesthood. And the effect of those truths is the third thing we need to see about Psalm 110. It is truly a place of conquest to dwell before the throne of God. And, and God has invited us there. Secondly, it is in the earth that Christ's authority can be seen visibly as his people step out by faith and express it. And it's because of those things that there can be an awakened willingness to serve our risen king. Read these two translations here on the screen of that third verse aloud with me. Would you read that with me together? Your people will offer themselves. Would you say that with me? Your people will offer themselves. And then the other side of that, your people will volunteer freely. In other words, it is in the day, he said, in the day of your valor. That day of Pentecost that I spoke about when Peter was proclaiming and explaining why the power of the Holy Spirit is now rushing among you like a rushing mighty wind. It's because the king has been enthroned at the right hand of the Father and his reign is total. But the timing of the final defeat of the last enemy death, guaranteed by the resurrection of Jesus, but now at a particular point in time. And so when that, you see that together, it, it helps us see why that in that third verse, this call to awaken, this call to advance, this call to refuse to stay in a place of lethargy, Refuse apathy as a child of God, but realize the Holy Spirit in me is moving me forward. For some of you, it may be something very quiet, seemingly so private. Maybe it's a, a change in the way you're speaking to your spouse. Maybe it's a change in the way you're looking at the challenges of your job. Maybe it's a new idea that, that's been percolating in your heart, but you, you just haven't quite gotten the the, the energy or the thrust to say, I'm going to start that, I'm going to move into that. It can be as, as simple even as coming to worship with God's people. That in itself, our Sunday morning encounter is a part of this advancing of the kingdom of God. We may not feel it, we don't see it, it looks small, it looks, uh, it looks insignificant, but see, this is why we need God's word like Psalm 110. It shows us that there are things that to us look insignificant, but in the eyes of God, they reflect, they reflect an energy. The Hebrew language in that third verse, when it says your people will be willing or your people will volunteer freely, it's an interesting expression in the Hebrew. It's designed for intensity, intensity, and the actual word is not just volunteer, singular, or willingness, singular. The Hebrew word is willingness says. A little hard to say. But the intensity of that plural is expressing that because Christ is on the throne, 
that there's a growing, powerful willingness in us to offer ourselves. The Apostle Paul drew on that in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, when he said, don't be conformed to this world. Don't let this world shape your brain. Don't let this world squeeze you into its mold. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove that you may demonstrate what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. There is not one syllable in Romans 12, 1 and 2 that is passive. It's active. It is present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Offer yourselves to God. Psalm 110 verse 3 is giving us the the ingredients in God's powerful conquest that says you and I can do what Romans 12, 1 says, and that is offer ourselves. How many of you would join me today with an offering from your heart in light of that to simply accept that sometimes we think of these We think of these truths in light of a theory when the Holy Spirit translates it into something very present tense in our lives. When the day comes that Christ reigns on his throne at the right hand of God, it's called in 2 Corinthians, the favorable time. In other words, there's never been a better time Let's make it very specific today. There's never been a better time than August 21st of 2022 for you and me to come out of our shell, come out of our cave, whether it's fear, depression, disillusionment, even something in your life that causes you to feel you've lost energy, And say with the scripture, today is the day of salvation. Today is my favorable time. Why? Well, because, you see, as we go, we can remember in this timeless truth that he said about the Lord was that arrayed in holy majesty. He's talking about the people that are redeemed. He's talking about people like you and me. That arrayed in holy majesty from the womb of the dawn. It's it's as if... One writer in the 19th century made this statement so interesting. He said, looking at Psalm 110 is like having a small map of a huge country. Because the ingredients are in this seven verses of this psalm for both the eternal plan of God, when he said he's going to be a priest forever, to the now and now, the present tense of our hearts, where from the womb of the dawn, like as if a picturesque, as if the morning is giving birth to new possibilities. And you have tomorrow an opportunity to put that into practice. Because when the sun rises in the morning, I don't know if that's before or after your first cup of coffee, but when the sun rises in the morning, you can say, this day is a fresh opportunity from God out of the womb of the morning for God to bring some new life. And then, the, and then he, he finishes it by saying of the Messiah, you will receive the dew of your youth. Oh, time doesn't permit to illustrate this, but the dew there is that 
wondrous, quiet refreshing that comes to the ground, but it's applied to the Messiah like this, that in the future, when young people, missionaries, faithful friends of God, faithful followers of Jesus, when they rise up and they say, I'm going to worship Him even if it costs me. I'm going to share Christ with others even if it's difficult. I'm going to forgive the person who's deeply wounded me because it's for the glory of God. And they get that perspective. Psalm 110 verse 3 is saying that all of us, all of us who lovingly follow Him are bringing the dew of refreshing to the very heart of Jesus Christ. It's like he says, you're going to be refreshed, Lord. You, the Lord, you're going to be refreshed by your people rising up and saying yes to a new challenge. Now, as we close, I'm sure, I know, as I ask you to pray for a moment, I know there are probably things in your mind and heart today that could easily And and I just mean this so strongly. There are things in your mind and heart today and in the arena of your world that could weigh you down terribly today, this very day. There could be a family problem, a financial problem, a, a conflict you can't resolve, a decision you're struggling to make project that you that you want to get done but you don't have the time or the resources there could be a a thousand reasons in this very sanctuary why people could feel just kind of lethargic and frustrated and irritated oh if we don't take anything away from psalm 110 could we take away (laughs) that god in this in this amazing cosmic conversation (laughs) where yahweh says in the future to Adonai, you will sit at my right hand. And and when the resurrection day came and the day of Pentecost and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, this lively, life-giving fresh dew from heaven was coming upon the Messiah for worshipers were rising and saying, he is worthy of me offering myself. He's saying, Because Christ has conquered the adversary and given us new life in him. Yes, even while this earth is very troubled, he says he extends that scepter of his power through common, ordinary followers of Jesus who step out by faith and say, I want to create something different on the canvas of life around me. Lord, give to each person here as a worshiper, a a fresh sense, maybe today one specific way that we can say yes to this call to step out and trust you for great things. In Jesus' name, amen.